Hey guys, Coach over here from the Carbs Art, and today we have a brand new episode of Card Anthology. Today's special guest that will be doing the narration for this episode is none other than John from the channel They Said We Said. So without further ado, John, the episode is all yours. Coach, thank you for having me back, especially for a set like Urza's Saga, because oh boy, it's a doozy. Before we jump in and trying to dissect this impenetrable carapace, I just want to invite you, after this video of course, to stop by and visit me on the They Said We Said YouTube channel, where you can find The Hive Mind, a show where I conduct a card anthology type interview with the coach himself. Urza's Saga, which was released on October 12th, 1998 and released on MTGO on March 29th, 2010, was very famous for being one thing, broken, or as Mark Rosewater would say, broken. Today, we're going to dive into the deep end as to why this set changed the landscape of design and development and to give you some insight as to why this set was considered such a blemish on the face of Wizards of the Coast. So climb aboard the TARDIS with me, we're heading back to 1998, where at the time, Wizards R&D consisted of five people. Let's put that into perspective for a second. Today, there are usually five people on the creative team, five people on the design team, and five people on the development team. Not to mention you have a rules manager, art director, flavor text writers, the list goes on. Urza's Saga design team was Mike Elliott, Mark Rosewater, and Bill Rose. Richard Garfield, the creator of Magic the Gathering, received a designer credit because of his contribution of the very popular mechanic, cycling. More on that later. Development consisted of all five members of R&D, with Mike Elliott being the lead designer and developer, a practice that no longer exists. The set was codenamed Armadillo, with two gears used as the set's icon. Urza's Saga was originally supposed to be named Urza's Odyssey. However, the name was shot down and Odyssey was changed to Saga with a future set getting the Odyssey moniker. But, unfortunately for Watsi, the set's title squabbles were the least of their worries. There were a few well-known reasons why this set had so many issues. First, all three members of the design team were heavily involved in other projects. Mike Elliott was in charge of Portal Three Kingdoms. Mark Rosewater was almost single-handedly producing Unglued, while Bill Rose was in charge of the colossal task of reworking the structure of the game with the 6th edition rules. To make matters worse, there was a well-publicized feud between developer William Jockish and lead design developer Mike Elliott. The story side was also a subject of contention. Urza, the character, was not originally supposed to be involved in the Wrath Cycle. However, he was then shoehorned into the current storyline, and thus Urza's block was transformed into what would become the backstory of his relation to the Weatherlight Saga. Once the creative change was made, a block that was mechanically an Enchantment Matters themed set was deemed the Artifact Cycle, due to Urza being known as the greatest artificer in the multiverse. Sound a little disconnected? John, this isn't the Jerry Springer show. This is the Card Anthology series. Tell me more about the cards and the mechanics already. Fine, since you asked so nicely. There were two name mechanics in Urza's Saga. Both, which were originally included in Tempest, were removed due to space. 
The first being Echo. Echo was a mechanic that was supposed to allow you to play spells at a faster rate by distributing the casting costs over two turns. As seen on cards such as Albino Troll, the problem was that by the time you had paid both costs, it was generally higher than what you would have paid for it anyway. Echo was not very well received, and not nearly as popular as the other name mechanic in the set, Cycling. Designed by the godfather of MTG, Richard Garfield, Cycling allowed you to turn any unwanted card into a cantrip. Top decking land in the late game? No problem. Simply pay two and turn that unwanted land into another card. Opponent not playing any enchantments? Cycling's got you covered. Pitch that copy of clear to help you dig for the correct answer. No card is useless when this mechanic is around. Although the set had technically only two named mechanics, there were numerous unnamed cycles and themes. Probably most infamous of these being the free spells. Cards like Rewind that would counter target spell for 2UU would then let you untap said lands. This mechanic not only ravaged the standard and extended formats, but also terrorized Popper recently, which led to the banning of Peregrine Drake. Meant to be a cantrip variant, Mark Rosewater has gone on record in stating that this was the most heinous ability he ever contributed to the game. That is saying something coming from the man that created Dredge. As mentioned before, this was meant to be an enchantment theme set and thus had the following cycles. The Growing Enchantments. As shown on the cards, Sarah's Hymn and Spora Genesis, these cards allowed you to place counters on them during your upkeep, which then eventually would become an insurmountable engine if left unanswered. The Sleeping Enchantments were cards that entered the battlefield with no effect. However, if the opponent did a certain action that was mentioned on the card, the enchantment would then transform into a creature. Let's take a look at the blue cards in this cycle. Veil of Birds, Veiled Crocodile, Veiled Century, Veiled Serpent, and Veiled Apparition, an early distant blood relative to what would become the werewolf mechanic from Innistrad, which would not come into creation for another 12 years. There were also the Embrace Auras, a cycle of auras that would transform a creature into an iconic creature from Magic's past. As shown in the example Sarah's Embrace, Shiv's Embrace, and Vampiric Embrace, these cards would essentially transform your creature into a Sarah Angel, Shiv and Dragon, or a Sanger Vampire, just to name a few. Urza's Saga had 350 cards, 110 commons, 110 uncommons, and 110 rares, plus basic lands. In contrast, Large sets today generally are around 269 cards, which includes basic lands. So as you could tell, this size of a set produced a large number of notable cards. Gilded Drake, which at first glance looks a bit innocuous, but boys and girls let me tell you from first-hand experience, this little 3-3 flyer for 1 and 1 blue, that you would give to your opponent for exchange of one of their creatures, was the engine in what would become one of the most dominant mono blue decks in history. The deck functioned by playing early creatures such as Menethran Soldier. Then, after slamming down a Tradewind Rider, you could now play the treacherous Gilded Drake and steal your opponent's creature. 
which at that point, you would tap the Tradewind Rider and two of his buddies, usually one being your newly acquired creature, to bounce the Drake back into your hand. The rest of the deck was filled out with potent bounce spells like Capsize, which had buyback, and counter magic to protect your anger-inducing engine, rinse and repeat. There were numerous color-hosing cards such as Absolute Grace and Absolute Law, which had companion creatures in Disciple of Grace and Disciple of Law, which were 1-2 creatures that had protection from black and protection from red, however, also had cycling in case you weren't playing against either of these colors. It also completed the cycle of Paladins, starting in Alpha, with the inclusion of Eastern and Western Paladin that would destroy target green or target white creatures, respectively. This set also saw the very first printings of frequently reprinted cards like Duress, Corrupt, and Annul. Urza's Saga saw printings of some very important legendary creatures that were extremely vital to the story, like Baron Master Wizard, which was the father of Hannah, the Weatherlight's navigator, and Karn, Steel Golem, who is still featured in the Magic storyline as recently as New Phyrexia. Other notable cards included Child of Gaia, a beefy 7-7 for 3-G-G-G, with Trample and Regenerate for 1-G, with a small drawback of having to pay GG on each of your upkeeps. Contamination, which is still to this day a very powerful commander card that during your upkeep makes you sacrifice a creature but makes all lands produce black instead of the color they are supposed to produce. How rude! Exploration, which allows you to play an additional land each turn. This was a high-priced card until its recent reprinting in Conspiracy. Goblin Lackey, which seemed a harmless uncommon 1-1 for one red goblin creature that would allow you to put any goblin creature from your hand onto the battlefield without paying its casting cost, went on to being one of the most powerful creatures in this particular tribe. Greater Good, another commander staple, which would allow you to sacrifice a creature to draw cards equal to that sacrificed creature's power than having to discard three cards is a formidable card draw engine in a graveyard-based strategy. There was the very popular Swiss Army Knife creature Morphling. There was the Rare Land Cycle, Phyrexian Tower, Shivan Gorge, Sarah's Sanctum, Gaia's Cradle, and the most broken land of all time, the Talarian Academy, which soon after received the Banhammer for allowing a gigantic influx of the first turn victories due to the amount of mana this card could produce. Two cards that did not immediately garner the respect they would later demand were Show and Tell and Sneak Attack. These two cards would eventually spawn the deck Sneak and Show, which would let you play the fattest of all the fatties, Emrakul the Aeon's Torn, and Grizzlebrand faster than any player should feel comfortable with. The deck is still considered to be one of the top decks in the Legacy format. Let's talk Urza's Saga impact on the Pro Tour and how the results from that tournament led to the bannings of some very high profile cards. Pro Tour Rome which was won by Tommy Hovey, was played in the now-defunct extended format. This Pro Tour had an ongoing joke, which was the early game contained shuffling, 
The mid game was deciding to keep or mulligan your hand, and the late game, turn one. The winning deck in this tournament was called the Academy deck, named after its key card, Talarian Academy. The card can be tapped to add blue mana to that player's mana pool for each artifact that player controls. The deck was filled out with a large number of mana producing artifacts such as Lotus Petal, Mox Diamond, Grim Monolith, and Thran Dynamo. Then, with mechanisms meant to untap the Academy, like Voltaic Key and Mind Over Matter, Time Spiral, a card from the set, was particularly abusive due to its nature of replenishing the player's hand, graveyard, and untapping the Academy. The game ends when the player is able to cast a 60-point Stroke of Genius and resulting in decking or milling your opponent. This format would forever be known as Combo Winter. A box of Urza's Saga is worth around $750. So that's it for the set that almost brought the entire House of Cards down. Urza's Saga. Again, I want to thank Coach for letting me bring this very important piece of magic history to all of you. Join me next week when I return to bring you the Card Anthology series episode on Urza's Legacy. And please, once again, come and visit me on the They Said We Said channel. So long, and I'll talk to you real soon. So that's all we have today for this episode of Card Anthology. Please let us know in the comments what you liked and did not like about this set. We always like to know what you guys think every time we do an episode of Card Anthology. I would like to personally thank Jonathan from They Said We Said. Make sure you subscribe to his channel. He will be back next week to do the next episode of Card Anthology called Urza's Legacy. If you enjoy this video, please make sure you like and share the video on your social media pages. Please also subscribe to the channel if you have not done so already. Thank you guys for the continued support, and we will be back next time at the Card Bazaar.